Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, but, and feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the human race. It's not the dead who praise the Lord. Those who go down to the place of silence, it is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. The big question that this psalm asks is one which I think is a question that's alive and well today. It's a, it's a kind of cutting question that comes from our world, but it's also a very painful and personal question that we ask in our hearts. Where is God? Where's God? The concern at the beginning in verse 1 is that God would be glorified. He deserves the glory, deserves the praise for his love and faithfulness. But then this kind of desire to glorify God is smacked down by this question that comes from the nations. You see it in verse 2. The nations say, where is their God? Where is he? Glorify the God of Israel? Where is he? I think it's a question that hangs in the air of Britain today as well. Your imaginary God deserves as much recognition as the fairies at the bottom of the garden. That kind of feeling. You made him up. Glorify him? Where is he? You know, show me your God. We want to see, touch, feel God. Money we can see with our eyes. Sex we feel. Food we taste. But God, where is he? And I think, I've not been living in London very long, but I think London has a, can have an effect of... of making us forget about God as well. Because while God feels so absent, so intangible, London has so much right in front of us, in front of our eyes, that is so significant. You know, think about it, within this city, within a few miles of here, there's the seat of power for our country, the government, defence, justice, it's all packed into this city. There's the best the world has to offer of arts and food and architecture. London has the kind of significance and weight of history on every street. It's one of the most significant economic capitals in the world. Power in the form of money flows through the streets of the city in Canary Wharf. And it's also immediate. You can see it, you can touch it, experience the significance of what's going on around us. And where's God? Nowhere to be seen, right? But also I think it's a question we ask personally. How can I praise God? How can I sing these songs, my Jesus, my Savior, I love you, when God feels so absent from my life? Where is his love? Where is his faithfulness? It's hard to see his power. I can't 
Maybe this is how you feel. I can't see God. Where is he in my life? Where is he? This psalm has an answer to that question. But it's funny because if you came to me and said, Phil, God feels so far away. He's absent. Is he just imaginary? Have you made him up? Where is your God? The answer I would probably give you is to try and persuade you that God is really, really near. I've said, no, he's not absent. He's not far away. He's really, really close. He's, he's involved in our lives, nearby. Psalm 115, for some reason, thinks that the answer to a world that wonders, well, where is God, is to say, well, he's not here. Do you see the answer in verse 3? So we get the question in verse 2, where is their God? Look at verse 3. This is the big verse for the whole thing. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. So to a world that mocks God for his absence, to say, well, he's not here, he's in heaven, seems a bit of an odd answer, do you think? But I want to show you that the fact that God is not here and he's in heaven is the best news you could hear today. That's what we're going to see. That God is in heaven means, and this is the really significant thing at the beginning, the fact that he's in heaven means God is totally free. He's free. God is totally and utterly free. Look at verse 3 again. Our God is in heaven. That's where he is. He does whatever pleases him. Why is God totally free? Because he's in heaven. In 2010, 33 men were trapped in the San Jose copper gold mine in Chile. You probably remember it on the news. It was a really big deal. They were 2,300 feet underground, which is like a couple of the shards and a little bit more. That's a long way to be underground. And they were down there for 69 days, okay? Now, under, underground, trapped, they could move around. They had certain freedoms. But can you imagine if after the collapse, the miners turned to each other and said, hey, guys, we could do whatever we want down here. That'd be bonkers. It was, the opposite was true. They couldn't do whatever they want. They were trapped. They were limited in a thousand different ways. They couldn't do what they wanted. Meanwhile, back up on the surface, three miles away, they were free, those people. They were, the, the, the others were above the mess and the, being trapped, and they were free and able to organize the most incredible rescue operation and get them out. See, where you are affects what you can do. If you're trapped, you're not free. And so the psalmist says, his answer is, well, where's God? He's in heaven. He can do whatever he wants. He's not here. might not sound like good news. But because he's not here, it means he's not here as part of our broken, limited, created world. He's free to do what God's supposed to do, which is be above it all and actually rule and do what he sees best. Now imagine for the miners what... Sweet relief it must have been to know. It's all right. It's all right. There are people above. There are people up on the surface. You can get us out. Not everyone's trapped down here. That must have been such good news for them to keep them going and motivated. And this psalm finds sweet relief in the fact that God is not trapped down here with us in the mess. He's not broken like we are. He doesn't have limits like we do. He doesn't have off days. He doesn't have sleepy days. He doesn't have sick days. He doesn't pull a sickie or anything like that. God doesn't do that. Question, where's God? Answer, he's in heaven, which means he's free to do whatever he pleases. But there's a problem with this. We actually don't like God being this way. 
Because a God who's in heaven and totally free to do whatever he wants isn't a God who we can control. And we like to control things. So the psalm in the next bit turns to the nations who are mocking God, saying, well, where's your God? And he says, well, you're asking me about where our God is. Here's my answer. He's in heaven. But let's take a moment to look at your gods that you worship and do a little bit of comparison, okay? So, so uh, back in this time, the nations, they would make um, these little statues, these images that represented the gods that who they worshipped. And what these statues did was they made their gods kind of more tangible, more immediate for them. They, they wanted a more immediate physical experience of God, so they made these little statues, okay, these little idols. But the psalm exposes how these more tangible, more near gods are actually useless. Let's have a look. See what he does. Verse 4. But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear noses but cannot smell they have hands but cannot feel feet but cannot walk nor can they utter a sound with their throats those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them so, so the the psalm looks at these the the gods of these um the nations who are mocking god for not being around and he says well your gods well they're made of metal you made them god is supposed to be the creator but you created your gods you made these little things out of out of metal what power could they possibly have? They're created by you. And then he shows how these idols promise to be godlike. And then they fail at every single point. Have a look. He starts by talking about how they, they need to speak. I mean, surely gods need to be able to speak, right? Gods tell you how to live. What's what in the world? But these gods have little mouths, but they can't speak because they're made of metal. They've got little eyes. Look, little eyes, very cute. But you know, surely a god needs to be able to see. Gods need to be able to see what's going on. They've got eyes, but nope, no sight. Oh, you pray to your gods every day, surely, don't you? So they must have ears to be able to hear your prayers, but they've got ears, but they can't hear. They're little lumps of metal. Or you burn incense to your god, like, like a fragrant offering, so that your god will be pleased with you. So surely they have noses so that they can smell the fragrance. Noses, but can't smell. Okay, surely your gods can at least do something. Surely they, um, they've got hands. Hands, but can't feel. Feet, surely your gods can go for a little walk. No, actually, they're rooted to the spot. You have to move them. You have to pick up your gods. How are they going to carry you through life if you're carrying them? They're mute, they're deaf, they're blind. And you mock God for and saying, where is he? Let me tell you where he is. Our God's in heaven. He does whatever he wants. Your gods, they're on earth, and they can't perform basic bodily functions. And there's this gloomy prospect in verse 8. If you worship gods like this and trust in these gods who look very real but can't deliver, you'll become like them, promising much but useless. It's a gloomy picture, right? It's kind of embarrassing. Why does this psalm turn to exposing the idols of the nations? Here's why. And this is why this really matters for you and I today, the beginning of 2017. God's people, Israel, and the church today, you and I, are always tempted to worship what feels much more immediate and tangible than God. We'll always be tempted towards that. An experience of God that is more immediate and physical and tangible. Because most God, most, most days, and maybe you feel this way, maybe it's just me, most days God feels a long way away. 
very out of reach. And the world around us has told us, well, he's probably a figment of your imagination anyway. Meanwhile, there's all this stuff in our lives that feels so much more immediate and which are kind of godlike. Okay, think with me. I'm saying these things which are more tangible, which we go after instead of God, feel more godlike. Think about these idols. They looked like they could deliver, right? They, they had mouths, but they couldn't speak and so on. And God so f- feels so absent from the world, and these other things are more promising. So consider money, spending money. It actually feels like a very godlike experience. Our paycheck comes in the post with the promise of potential for you to go out and own and get more things. It gives you this potential for dominion and control over things in the world. And making and, and what we buy promises to be God to us. It's like it's got a little mouth and it's talking to us. You buy this, I'll make you flourish. I'll make you complete. I'll make you beautiful. I'll make you the envy of everyone around you. They speak like a God to us. I'll do this for you if you just buy me. But don't you see, this psalm says, money and the stuff we buy is so limited because of where it is. It's down here. It's in our world. Like everything else in this world, it will break. It will disappoint. It will go out of fashion. See, to turn to material comfort for the experience of the divine, of God, is to be like one trapped miner who turns to another trapped miner and goes, hey, you can set me free. He can't. He's trapped down there with you. These things in our world can't help us. They can't get us out. They can't fix our problems because they're down here with us in the problems. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. I think this is the reason that sex and relationships are so powerful in our lives. It's because they're so godlike. The desire for sex and relationships can be so powerful and all-consuming, partly because it offers an an intimacy and depth of experience that seems to us kind of divine, like an experience on another plane of reality to us. It offers us an experience with someone outside of ourselves. Relationships offer us an intimacy with, with another person, like an intimacy like no other. And it's like he's got a little mouth and we're hearing its voice. You will flourish and be complete when you have a romantic relationship and lots of sex. That's the voice we hear. I will offer you this experience. It's pretending to be a god. And meanwhile, God feels so absent. He feels so far away from us. And so our hearts are drawn to these things which offer us something way more immediate and tangible. That's what we think. But the psalm is a song for God's people to sing, to call each other, to say, no, 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 wake up. It might look like it has a mouth, but it can't speak. It might have hands, but it can't feel. Sex and relationships might look like it can give you the ultimate intimacy you long for, but it can't. Because it's down here. It's part of the world. It's part of the problem. It's created. It's got limits. It'll let you down. If you're married, your spouse is not free to always and perfectly love you. But we load that expectation onto our spouses. But that's only an expectation we can have on God. Your friends are not free to deliver whatever it takes to complete your life. Every relationship and every experience in our world has an inbuilt limitation. And we hit against it all the time. I'm a fan of Grand Tour, okay, car shows, things like that. And they get in these supercars, which can do 250, 300 miles per hour. 
And then they go, but it's limited to 150 miles an hour. Which you think, what's the point in spending like 100,000 pounds on a car that can do 300, 300 miles per hour, but can actually only do 150? I mean, what's the point of that? So they've got this potential. They offer you this horsepower that's crazy and out of this world, but it's limited. It can only do so much. And we have every single day in front of our faces things that say, I'll satisfy. I'm going to complete you. I'm going to bless you like a God. They can't deliver. They're limited. What is it in your life that feels more tangible than God that your heart is drawn towards? Recognition, so much more immediate, isn't it? Sex, independence, control. Whatever it is, we've got to see that we're trapped down in the mind and it's trapped down here with us. They'll always be limited. But get this, our God is in heaven and he's completely free. He does whatever pleases him. I imagine those um, Chilean miners down there so long, 69 days. They must have desperately needed hope to keep saying to each other, it's okay, guys. The, the other people are up there. They're going to get us out. Don't worry. Well, in the next verses in the psalm, God's people kind of turn to each other in song, and they say, guys, don't lose hope. Keep trusting. Look at verse 9. They've just looked at all these, these false idols, and they say, all you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He's their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He's their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He's their help and shield. It's like this repetitive call. We need to hear it over and over again. Instead of trusting in these fragile things that are going to disappoint, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. He can be your shield because no one needs to be his shield. He can do it for you. When I'm talking to people about Christianity, one of the things I hear time and time again is a feeling of disappointment and frustration that Jesus isn't here right now. You know that feeling of, look, if Jesus was here right in front of me, that would make it so much easier for me to believe. And I think that carries on in our Christian life as well. We feel the same. We walk through tough times. We go, if only I was born a few, many centuries ago with Jesus right here, I would, it would be so much easier to go through this tough time. Or I wouldn't be so tempted to sin if I was like the disciples and I had Jesus right here. Or I'd be so much more confident in telling people about Jesus if he was my wingman, if he was right there in the conversation answering the questions. And we feel, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Do you know the answer to that? Where is Jesus? And the beginning of Acts, which is the kind of sequel to the Gospels when Jesus was around, Jesus is with his disciples and he tells them they're going to go out into all the world and live for him and tell people about him. But he doesn't set off with them on that journey. He goes to heaven. And this is what happens in Acts chapter 1. Let me read it to you. Okay, so uh, Jesus has gone up to heaven. And disciples are standing around. And they're like this. Okay. There's not a ceiling. They can see the sky. They're looking at the clouds, all right? And uh, this is what it says. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed, dressed in white, angels probably, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Stop looking. This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Jesus is in heaven. 
But that's not the end of the road for the disciples. It's the beginning. These angels say, stop standing around, look at the sky. He's given you a mission. Get out there. Go tell people about him. The fact that Jesus died, rose and ascended and is in heaven isn't the disappointing end to the Gospels. Actually, we should have the excitement of Psalm 115. Jesus isn't here. He's not here. He's in heaven, which means he's ruling and he's free to be God and do what he needs to do. You can trust him. Do you know that? You can trust Jesus no matter what's going on. Why? Because he's not here. Because he's in heaven. And he can do whatever he wants. He can be your help and shield. So the good news for a world that asks where is God is that he's in heaven and he's free to do whatever he wants. But that still might not feel like good news to you, the fact that God can do whatever he wants. Because the idea of anyone being able to do whatever they want is normally a bad idea, right? Politician X, insert, I think I know what you're thinking, politician X does whatever he pleases is normally a bad thing. Okay, or think about someone you really trust, someone you know personally who you trust, even for them to say they can do whatever they want in life, even that I'm not sure is a good thing. What about God? We said God is free to do whatever he wants. What does he want to do with his freedom? Is it good? Look at verse 12. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Our God is in heaven, and this is good. Because the Lord is free to remember us and bless us. Do you see in verse 12, you get bless, bless, bless. Then verse 13, bless. What does God do? What's his pleasure? What does he do with his freedom? He blesses his people. He blesses his people. He blesses his people. He blesses his people. Time and time and time and time again. He does good, 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 good. And most people with power move in a kind of elite, and they use their power to be good to other people in their elite. But not God. Look at verse 13. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. See, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account, how your health is, how successful you are. If you trust in him, he's for you. God's not the first class lounge at the airport where we all look in and think, what's it like in there? But I can't afford to go in. He's for everyone. And here's what that means for you and me. In 2017, God is totally free to be on your side. He is without restraint in his ability to do you good. And you can have the confidence here in the psalm. Not only does it say bless, bless, bless. What is it? He will bless. He will bless. Will. He will. He will. Does that mean that 2017 is going to have no tears and no pain? No, that's not what it's saying. But we don't have to fear in the midst of that pain for one second that God's got his hands tied. He's free. And one day God will bring us fully into this blessing. He will end death. He will end tears. He will end sickness. He will bless us. You can be sure of it. Why? Because he's in heaven. He can do what he wants. 
This time of year is, um, is list time of year, right? The top 10 whatevers of 2016 or top 100 leaders, that's what Time Magazine did. Trump was on the front, there he was, top 100 people of chance. Anyway, um, think over the year, or just think in the world, who would you trust to do whatever they wanted? You know, if there was anyone in this world who you could, without hesitation, give unlimited power and freedom, who would you give it to? It would have to be someone really good. I mean, really good, right? I don't just mean eight out of ten times trustworthy. Because with that much power and that much freedom, one slip up or one moment going rogue and we're in trouble. Unlimited power and freedom. Who would you give it to? I can think of one man who I'd give it to. The Lord Jesus Christ left heaven and stepped into our world, into this limited and broken world. And at every turn in his life, he used his divine, unlimited power for good. Point me to the moment where he was harsh. Point me to the moment where he used his power to manipulate people to get his own way and serve himself. Show me the story in the Gospels where he trampled on the small people. You won't find it. Can you imagine having Jesus' power, divine power and freedom to do whatever you wanted and not even for a moment using that for selfish gain? I wouldn't last a day. I wouldn't last an hour with that kind of power. But Jesus, free Lord of all, free to do whatever pleased him, chose in his freedom to go to the cross for us. He went to the cross because we're the kind of people who search for God in the more tangible things of this world rather than the creator God. You know we're guilty for that, as we talked about earlier? Loving these things more than our creator, that makes us guilty before God. But Jesus uses his freedom as the divine son of God to choose to die so that we can be forgiven for selling our hearts to this world. The guilt is gone. God is ours if we pin our hope in Jesus. And Jesus rose from the dead. And then he ascended. And so he's in heaven, free to reign as our king. Jesus has unlimited power and used it to die for his enemies, you and me. To make us his friends. Isn't that astonishing? Is there anyone trustworthy enough to have all power and freedom to do what he wants? Jesus is. So trust him. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And that's good because Jesus is God. Final thing. If we're convinced that only the God of the Bible is free and able to do whatever he wants, then one big thing in this psalm follows from that, which just makes so much sense again. Pray. So pray. It's the most logical thing there is. If God is in heaven and is free, well, ask him for stuff. Ask him. Look at verse 14. This is exactly where the psalm goes. This is a request. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Real flourishing comes from God. And again, this makes complete sense. Verse 15. How can he bless everyone? How can he cause us to flourish? Well, he's the maker of heaven and earth. It makes no sense to ask a little silver statue to bless you and your family. That is bonkers. 
It makes no sense to try and get out of a relationship the satisfaction of your heart. It cannot do it. Money cannot do it. Power cannot do it. A job cannot do it. It's actually bonkers to think that it can. It's not the creator of the universe, but I know someone who is. There couldn't be anything more sane than asking the creator of the universe to look after us. And so the reflex of God's people is to pray, because God's not caught up in the mess. He's free from it, so he can help. Go back to the Chilean miners trapped down there. 17 days um, after the collapse of the mine, it was discovered a little note that they had written that they attached to a little drill bit and said, we are well in the shelter, the 33, and they became known as the 33. They sent up this little piece of paper. It took 17 days for anyone to find it. We don't send up pieces of paper to God hoping he might find it after 17 days and then he'll get around to answering our prayer and thinking about it. Because of Jesus, we've been brought close to God. And you know you've got his ear today if you're trusting in Jesus. He hears you. But if we're wondering where God is, remember that's the big question, where's God? Prayer can feel like we're sending up little bits of paper that we've scribbled our prayer on. And it can feel like God's 17 days later finds your prayer and he might get around to answering it. That's how we can feel. But I want to encourage you from this. Keep praying because we know that God is free and he hears and he's listening to you. This psalm fits in a string of psalms which all say hallelujah at some point. They're known as the, the hallelujah psalms. Praise the Lord is what hallelujah means. Go with me to the end of verse 18. That's where it comes up in this psalm. Here's where we'll finish. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. That's how the psalm finishes. How does 2017 start for you? How do you feel looking ahead to it? Fear, anxiety, guilt, ambivalence, maybe optimism. As God's people, this we can know for sure. Our God is in heaven. He's free to do whatever pleases him. And this is good because Jesus is good. So we can trust him. And even through the tears, we can say, praise the Lord. Alleluia. Let's pray. Father, we want to praise you this afternoon for this glorious truth that you've shown us. It couldn't be anything better that you could tell us at the beginning of this year. You are God, you are free, you are powerful, and you are good. Thank you that we are children through Christ. Thank you that every second of every day you are working for our good. And even through the dark times and the tough times that might come this year, you are still good and still free and still powerful. And I pray for us, for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, as a church family, help us to be a church that trusts in the Lord, that turns and takes refuge in you as our help and our shield. I pray that we would find refuge in the cross every single day of this year, that we would find hope, guaranteed hope in Christ every single day, 
Thank you for this truth. We need it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song which allows us to sing Alleluia. All I have is Christ. Let's praise God for what he's done. Let's stand and sing.